Hi, I'm Drithi Shah and this is my podcast, Have You Thought About? Thank you for joining us for season two. I'm a writer and I love to find out about what passions people are pursuing and also what makes them tick. The podcast is for those who are reckoning and tired of being told you can really only have one focus or one thing that makes you you. In each edition, I'm going to chat with someone who breaks these lines and who's managed to fit things together in their life or profession that you might not think of as an obvious match. You're about to hear me chatting with Ali Shaw, a BBC senior producer, a seasoned traveller and someone who knows what it's like to parent from afar. Hi Ali. Now, we met when we were both at the BBC, used to work for the corporation, but I left to try my hand at freelance and see what else is out there. But we met while both of us were working in roles in Washington DC in the North America Bureau. I was so happy that we became friends, but what I want to really find out about first is more about that experience of moving overseas and how you find friends when you're coming solo. It's a really good question. Um, it's a struggle. A bit of background. It was 2019. I was a single parent and my youngest was about to leave to go to uni. And I'd always kind of done programs, rebuilt programs, because I knew what my rota was and it just kind of, you know, it worked. And then when my youngest was about to go off to uni, I was like, call it a midlife crisis, whatever. But I'd never been able to like have a grab bag and go and just do that sort of journalism. And I was just kind of like, oh, maybe it's my time, which was a bit of a scary thing. I was 49, I think, when I went. So it was like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go and move to America, and I'm going to live on my own for the first time, for since I've been a student. It was challenging and brilliant. When I first got there, it was exciting, right? So that gets you through the first few months, because everything's new, everything's shiny. I'm a massive West Wing fan and a political nerd, so I literally walked around DC with West Wing references and clapping and, you know, going to the cathedral. So I was overwhelmed by the excitement and change. Then it settled down, and then that's when you start to get long weekends. It's like a Friday night, and you'd be like, what am I going to do till Monday? And they were the moments where you kind of had to dig deep. Context, also, I was there during COVID. This brilliant American adventure where I was going to go home every three months or someone was going to come out and I'd have lots of visitors and I'd travel America and kind of didn't happen. So that kind of limited that sense of lack of escape. I remember walking down the mall and there wasn't a soul in sight. And that just added to that kind of heaviness of Wow, I really am just, nobody is here now at a bubble. Uh, and there was people that I lived with who we worked with. But there's some times, and you know, we did the thing where we both lived in the same apartment block, and that's how we met. But there are times when you don't want to speak to people from work. This is true. You want, you, you want to just not live and breathe and think and be work. It's a weekend. And so it was trying to find people outside of that loop, which was the main kind of stumbling block. I remember thinking, I'll be all right if I can find my coffee shop. And it was Gregory's across the road from work. And I remember going in, they said to me, what kind of coffee do you want first thing in the morning? And I was like, oh, can I get a cappuccino? Uh, And they're like, right, okay, what kind of milk do you want? American milk is stupid. You don't need... 1%, 2%, 1%, 2%, half fat, full fat. I'm like, what? And I remember saying, can I can I just get whole milk? Like, full fat milk. Like, full fat milk, like you get full fat Coke. And they were like, what are... A, you've got a Scottish accent. And B, what do you mean full fat milk? And so we had the conversation. And we figured out that what I was actually asking for was full fat milk. And then I got my cappuccino. Thereafter, 
every day when I walked in, they'd shout, full fat milk at me as I walked in the door. And I'd be like, I'm fine now. I found my tribe. I found my people. They know who I am and they know what coffee I drink. And it was just daft things like that that made you feel like a bit more grounded. How did you find it? Very exciting, but very lonely at times as well in terms of trying to make friends and, and not knowing anyone. Gregory's. Day I left again because they were so nice. They gave me some freebies because <laughs> I was going oh, in so regularly. But I wasn't the full fat milk woman. I was like hot chocolate all the way, like constantly hot chocolate, hot chocolate, hot chocolate. But I think it's also that DC is a very, it's a very transactional place. It's a very transitory place as well, and I think that potentially adds to it. And that element of finding your tribe, I think for me that stood out. It's like oh, here's routine, here's people, and I think that makes a difference. Is when you make the effort to respect somebody and they do the same likewise and it's not just that transitory thing but yes I found it really hard and I think I deliberately went to people and said would you be my friend that is a ballsy move <laughs> that I mean that takes vulnerability to do that I'm not sure if I could have been that vulnerable yeah and I don't I know cool. I went on a hike to Rock Creek Park and there was a woman who had a dog German Shepherd and so I went up to her and I said, I really like your dog. Do you want to be my friend? And we're still friends now. Like, she writes to me from DC. <laughs> so that worked. Oh. Not always. There was another lady who was like, should we be friends? And then it didn't work out. We, we don't speak to each other anymore. But sometimes I think it works. And sometimes it's just me being a bit weird. But with you, how did you make the friends beyond the coffee shop? I'd made a lovely, lovely friend, Laura, in old Alexandria. And that was through connections of other people. And my partner came out to visit. He wanted to meet a friend of a friend she happened to be his wife we went along for dinner one night and she's a force of nature i mean this woman's terrifying you know what i'm like she's like three levels up so we got chatting and we got drunk and the second time i met her she dragged me along to a korean naked spa oh i bet we get because she went to this spa and it was just like she's like oh it's amazing you have to come and i'm like oh because we were drunk and I'm like, brilliant, I, yeah, oh my God, I actually have to do this now. And I was terrified and uh, went along. And I'm like, women's only, right? But we got to the changing room and she's like, you've got these wee, like, wee jumpsuits you have to put on. And I'm like, so you put the jumpsuits on now? And she went, no, no, they go in the locker. We get naked and then we go in the pool. And then they do like a body scrub on you and, and everyone's naked. And I'm like, oh my god i'm like right and there's nothing you get you're committed at that point and you're like right we're doing this so within five minutes not a problem i remember just sitting there having a conversation with randoms in the swimming pool just stepping outside your comfort zone and pushing yourself to do that thing that you just go this is so not me i went to a concert on my own which i've never done like i i'm scared to go to the cinema on my own i've never done it i admire people who can do it I've never done it. And I bought tickets and Hosier was playing um, down at the wharf. And I love him. And so I was kind of watching the tickets. And finally on the day that he was playing, the price dropped. And I'm like, doing this! Big girl pants on, right. Bought the ticket. And I got home and I was like, sat on the tea. Made myself something to eat. I was like, I talked myself out of it. You just sit there and you bottle in and come up with loads of different reasons why. My partner called me and I'm like, I'm not going. And he gave me the biggest chat slash kick up the bum slash row and he's like get on and go you'd be looking forward to this stop being an arse i'm like right then okay so i went 
And I remember standing in the queue and there was all these young ones there and there was a really long queue to get in. <laughs> I got to the door. Young boy says to me, oh, have you got any ID? And I'm like, no, I've got my bag card. I'm a consort. I am seasoned enough to know I'm not bringing a handbag. No, I don't have any ID. Oh, you can't drink then. Might spot a theme, which you know with me. I'm like that. Well, that's not. I'm not walking in there and being sober. No, I'm here on my own. I'm going to the bar first. So I was like, I tell you what, go and get me a grown up. So uh, the woman comes along, his manager, and I said, Look at my face. Look at my face. I'm over 21. I might not have ID to show that. And she's like, I just need to check that you're not from the licensing board coming to check on us and all this. So I was like, No, she's fine. Stamp her hand. Brilliant. Went in, straight to the bar, got a glass, and then I thought, and it was standing room only. And I'm like, oh, this is stressful. So I'm like, well, where's, in an ideal world, where would be the best view? Over there, right. So I wandered over and there was a group of women there and there's a space. And I just did that, this is obscure and random. I'm sorry. Do you mind if I just come and join you? Can I chum you? Because I'm here on my own. And I'm like, come away in. Oh, we rocked it. They knew every song from the first note and the first verse. Do you know what I mean? And we just danced the night away. Like, Gave it loudly, which is a Scottish phrase for um, big yahoo. And I floated for about two days at so chuffed with myself. And I'm not one of those people that very often kind of pats myself on the back, but I was like that. Yay me. I got off my arse. I didn't want to do it. I did it. What else can I do? And the kind of American experience was a bit like that for me. Confidence building was very good. I mean, a lot of this is sort of, you know, in your personal time, as it were, and beyond the work, but you are a seasoned foreign producer, you know, you've done some hardcore stories. So that element of confidence, when I'm dealing with my journalism, I can pretty much do anything. It's like, yeah, I'll interview anyone, I'll be able to do anything. But when it comes to my beyond journalism, it's not more like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like I said, I've seen you in action. You are fearsome. You will do what needs to get done, and you do it with due respect, which is not what everybody does, but you do, and that's why I respect you for it. But then to say, like, oh, I was doing this. How do you marry these two parts of you, as it were? In my head, the way I do it is I can be like that at work because I'm confident I know what I'm doing. And it's clear. and There's a system and it works and I'm confident. And then it's almost like that's such a big part of my life. And you know what it's like, especially when you're living in a foreign bureau and you're on call pretty much all the time. That takes so much out of you that... When you're not at work, you just let it go. I, I can organise. You name it, I can sort it, right? See, when I'm at home, I have a Jenga approach to cupboards. I can just throw it in, shut the door, and if the door doesn't open again on me, that'll do. Because, do you know what? I haven't got time in my life to just organise stuff. And I'm a bit like, my ideal holiday would be I go away and someone makes all the decisions for me. So I don't have to go, what do I want for tea? I don't know what you decide. There's a balance, and sometimes... I'm quite a bit of an introvert and I don't like speaking to people and I think I'm just exhausted by doing the day job and so I need that downtime to catch myself on and do a bit of recovery. The way I know if I've got a really, really good friend is, and I've said this before, it's not something they don't know, is folk will go, oh, see that Ali, she's really scary. The folk who know me go, ah, she's all talk. She's total softy. They're my mates because they're the ones who know me and they're the ones just get Ali at work. I'm quite happy to keep those two separate, but that's how I can tell if someone thinks they know me or they actually know me, and that's how I define it. But something that's also, I think, quite important here in that, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Irving Goffman. He had studied impression management, so this is pre-internet stuff, right? 
But he looked at institutions, he looked at loads of different things. But he's like, you put on a different face wherever you are. So you put on the work face in the work environment. You put on the personal face when you're with your partner, for example. You put on your parent face when you're with your kids. You are one of the best. You are hardcore when you need to be for the work environment. You've just given an insight into how, you know, you, you need to sort of take the brakes off when you're in that personal element. But the other thing I wanted to also ask you about is that you're a mum and you're also having to parent while you're overseas on these trips or these extended trips as it were how do you also then navigate that and being able to keep a hands-on hands-off approach when it comes to that part of you and what people get from you there that is hard I felt guilty a lot of the time when I was away so my kids are now 24 and 21 and when I went out they were 18 and 21 so they'd left home but I had to stop fixing problems for them because I couldn't because I was physically not there and uh, first they'd phone or they'd be upset or it'd be something annoying them or something they need fixed and I'd just go into fix mode and I couldn't and the time zones were different and it would be frustrating and then and then I'd mither about it for like 24 hours and then I'd speak to them the next day and go did that get sorted and they'd be like eh, it was no biggie but I'd then wasted 24 hours of energy worrying about it do you know what I mean it evolved into actually better style of parenting where I just had to listen and I couldn't fix one of the best questions I find when you're talking to someone is do you want me to fix do you want me to listen and just listen or do you want me to make suggestions and once you can work out what that person needs from you it might just be they just need to go Bleh, and you just need to be there and go I'm really sorry, that's, you know, it'll feel better tomorrow. Let them just talk out loud. And that's all I could do. And after a while, it actually meant we had better communication. And, you know, now I'm back and they're about, Sunday's down in London now, my daughter's still in Edinburgh, but it kind of kicked us into the next level of honesty with each other. And I've always had this rule as a parent, just tell me the truth and I promise not to give you a row. That was like kind of our abiding principles so we've always been quite open like phone me at five in the morning when you're drunk and can't find your keys I'll not give you a row I'll come and get you so it's a kind of a natural extension of that but it was difficult I was away too long like because Covid happened and I couldn't get back I, I got back after kind of about six months so my first trip out was six months out there before I could get back and that was too long I just remember like being heartbroken I just needed a hug I needed cuddles from those I loved you know and that feeds the soul I was there for three years and my last six months was the only time COVID lifted and they could come out. And it was brilliant having them out there, but it could have been a, an easier experience. It comes down to resilience and we are all naturally resilient and we all dig deep and think we can't do it and then we find out we can, but we're scared to do it until we try and, you know, we can talk ourselves out of it. I don't, I don't regret it. I loved it. It was great, but it's... It was enough. I was there for three years. The job is, you know, I've said this to you before, it's it's not who I am, it's what I do. You need to be able to compartmentalise. Otherwise, the job can be too all-encompassing. And you need to have different faces. The one time in my life where I pretended to do the journalism thing, and it did me brilliantly, was online dating. Oh. Online dating in your late 40s is utterly terrifying. And I used to, like, really cack myself when I was going on, like, first-time dates and stuff. And then I just went, like, get a grip. You can walk up to total strangers and have an entire conversation with them and they won't even face you. So what I'd do is I'd just go into that mode. I'd be like, I'm just going to meet someone. I'm going to ask them lots of questions. I can do that. Thereafter, 
doddle. Because you'd be like, I might meet someone nice, I might not, it doesn't matter, I'll meet someone new, they'll have some stories, I'll get it out of them, and then we'll wander off. And I remember consciously going, I need to put my work hat on and then go into that confident mode. And that was the mask that got me through that kind of first date. Worked every time. <laughs> I might just steal that. I have the worst record. But something that's actually quite important in that you're back in the UK. Was that weird? Like you said, you know, going out there was a little bit lonely. You have exciting, lonely, but you know, you, we got on with it. But then you're coming back, but you've changed. The world yeah. has changed. The world has changed. I changed friends that I thought pre-America. I was still being in touch with not. That was interesting. Who kept in touch and who didn't? Who made the effort and who didn't? Yeah. Which is kind of that natural filter as you go through life, don't you? You always take a few friends with you and you lose a few friends and that's every phase of your life you bring people with you who are the core. And it came to light. So I met my now husband about a couple of months before I was due to go to America. Brilliant timing. Not. But I wasn't looking because I knew I was going away and I was having this big adventure and then you bump into him and you're like, oh. <laughs> anyway, I came back and we got married six weeks after I got home. So when I first got back, I was just like in like, oh my God, I actually need to organise this wedding and it's in six weeks time. So that kind of kept the buzz going when I got back and then settling in and then we just bought a house and we just moved. And that was all brilliant, but I'm now in a new phase. When I was sitting in DC and I knew I was coming home, I was like, right, what is it I want to do when I come back? Not what job do I want to do, but what is it that I've learned about myself since I've been out here that's important to keep going? Pop the list, work with those folk. But no matter what actual job I was doing, the most important thing was I want to work with nice folk. I want to work with a good team. And that will make me happy. And the job is underneath that. So I did. So I came back and I, I'm working at um, Scottish Parley, Hollywood now. And I love it. And my priorities have shifted slightly. And because I've got this new life now, better life. And I've got my husband and I've got a new place and I've got the job and the commute's no bother at all. And I'm working with the core people where I feel like I'm home. Because I used to work at Scottish Parley years and years ago, but there's that sense of back in my hometown and knowing, oh, knowing where to go and get your shoes rehealed. Just knowing off the top of your head the shortcut when the traffic hits. Stuff like that that you underestimate is important to feeling grounded. And I've made new friends. I meet new people every day because he's got a whole circle of mates who've got a circle of mates who've got a circle of mates. And it's like mashing up my mates and his mates together and seeing how they blend. We just had a barbecue on Saturday and we did that mash-up thing. Because the wedding was brilliant because we suddenly like went, here's all my mates from my entire life. Here's all mine, my family. And you're like, oh, oh, in one room. Let's all get drunk. And out of that fell lots of new friendships. So it's an exciting time. I'm content. And for a long time I was looking for that. I was looking for that sense of peace and normal. I strive for normality quite a lot. I kind of feel like I've found my groove where things are normal. And it's like, something horrible will happen soon, obviously, because I'm a natural pessimist. Well, it is, it is, because that's a natural thing, isn't it? Things are going well. What's going to go wrong to ruin it? And so far, touch wood, touching desk, it's all going okay. Apart from the menopause. I was going to ask you about that. Like, so I feel like I'm going through perimenopause at the moment. Like, hot flushes, clumsy, but that just could be me anyway. How are you navigating 
menopause, perimenopause, as as an experienced woman of certain years, how are you coping with that? (laughs) Very, very delicately put, Ruthie. Brain fog's the biggest thing for me, especially when I'm working in news and it's fast turnarounds and I just can't think of words, I can't think of names, I just have blank sometimes, but I'm very open with the people around me and I'll be the first one to shout, oh, right, so... Like, I can't remember people's names that I know really well. I'll stare at them like you. I can stare at you and just go, sorry, what's your name? I cannot remember it. And I'm about to introduce you to someone and I have no clue what your name is. And it'll just wash over me. But I just kind of go, oh, really sorry, I'm menopause. I just make a joke about it and folk will go, oh, I know I've got that as well. Yeah, no, it's fine. Brain fine, it's fine. You know, but it's kind of hard at work. And when your self-esteem and confidence goes a wee bit, I think, and then there's the imposter syndrome that kind of creeps up on you slowly and slowly. And then you kind of come back and you're like, well, I'm probably all right at doing this. You know, we can do it. But like, can I do it? Can I do it? I'm not sure. What if that changed? Oh, well, I wouldn't be able to do that. And so that confidence that, you know, like I talked about, I got when I was in America. I kind of lost touch with a little bit when I came back because it was all a bit second guessing myself and. You know, and I often think, well, you know, have I got the bottle to go freelance, like you've done, like, and I genuinely don't think I could, because I don't think I'd be any good, because nobody would want me. See, I'm like, I think you would be good. I think it's just a difficult time at the moment in the UK, if I'm perfectly frank with you. That, that's what I would only say. Consider that is just whether you'd want to go freelance necessarily in the UK because of the cost of living crisis, not because you're not good. As I said, and I keep saying it, you are literally one of the best producers I've ever seen in terms of when you're working... You get stuff done, and that's what people want, right? You do it. You deliver. The other thing I'd say is drugs are good. I ran towards HRT early on. Um, so I'm on HRT, and it's a wee patch. You, use, you change twice a week. It's brilliant. Uh, and then estrogen on a daily basis. And for a while, I was on testosterone, which was brilliant. Because that's so the testosterone. Do you know what it was? It's because we were in America, and it's the health system there. So I went to the gynae, and it was just like, I need to get some HRT. And they're like that, what can we offer you? You know, it's the opposite of the NHS. Uh, so I was on testosterone for a while, which is really good about, you know, I feel when you wake up in the morning and you just can't quite function. Mm-hmm. You're sluggish. And you're just like, oh, can I just go back to my bed? And I like, oh, I'll have to get up some other day. Like, and you had to crank it quite quickly, but you're like, oh. It was, it was really good about kind of getting you, you'd wake up and you were a bit more like, all right, bring it. It was, it was brilliant. But when I came back, I had really good NHS doctor that I registered with and they pretty much gave me the identical stuff and just went well right we'll take your bloods we'll measure you from here on in and we'll just carry it forward and it, it's been amazing and I haven't struggled to get you know there's been a shortage of various um hormone mm-hmm. stuff I haven't noticed that and they've been brilliant about getting on I just ran towards it there's a brilliant lady for anybody out there Dr Louise Newsom N-E-W-S-O-M and uh, she's got an app called Balance and she just talks sense but proper no nonsense there's loads of fact sheets there's loads of information she's like my go-to woman for let me just check that not sure about this what about that although um, we, we do her, check other things as well like we do make sure that other people are around and other people can be checked and on the app they ask you about all your symptoms and then you can measure it like three months later against the same symptoms and stuff and it just gives you a kind of preparation chart so I found her very helpful and used that as a reference to navigate my way towards it when I was listening to one of her things she's like the earlier you get on it if it works for you and it doesn't work for everybody but the earlier you get on it the more benefit you'll get from it and I thought you had to wait till you were really bad before you got on it and she's like yeah no 
crack on early. And so, fingers crossed, that's working for me at the moment. Fantastic. So there's quite a lot going on there in terms of being able to navigate life, but also embracing different elements and perhaps sort of seeing what the next chapter could be. And just finally, one more thing, if that's all right. What would you say overall makes Ali, Ali? Oh, that's a tough um, got to be authentic. You've got to be yourself. You've got to have the confidence to be yourself, right? There's no point being anybody else but you. You've got to be honest, because if you're not honest, it'll bite you on the arse. It's the kind of guiding principle in life. You'd like to think I'm empathic and have the compassion to see someone's perspective. And I've always kind of gone through life thinking, treat someone like you'd like to be treated. Do it so that you can go to bed at night and your conscience is clear. And you can go to sleep and go, but I trusted my instinct. Trust your instincts. We double guess it all the time. And every time you second guess it, it bites us on the bum. Trust your instinct and have the confidence to listen to it and be guided by it. And maybe that's a woman thing or maybe that's a sweeping generalisation. But as I've got older, I've realised every time my tummy tingles, there's a reason and I stop and take a beat and then something will fall out and go... The amazing Ali Shaw, who brings together travelling, motherhood and so much more. Do you have an interdisciplinary life? Because I'd love to hear from you. And maybe we can chat on my podcast that goes with my newsletter, which is called Have You Thought About? And can be found via www.dritishah.com. Please join me next time for a fun conversation with another guest who likes to mix up lots of things in their life. If you like the podcast, do share, rate and review. It's an independent podcast and if you find it helpful, then let people know. This marks the end of season two. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Rian Shah for the music. <laughs>